0: Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit MyARCF.com. Deuteronomy chapter 15. If you've been with us the last three weeks, you know this is part four of a seven-part series called The Heart Beneath Money. We've called it that because every time you try to get Jesus to talk about money, he's always talking about the human heart instead. And he's God. He doesn't lie. He's not wrong. So we need to go with it. Amen? Hey, there are five of you, seven of you in the room. Somebody can amen me. I know you guys are amening at home. You're already just like hand in the air with a bagel in the other hand because I can't see you. I know you guys are brunching. I know you are. We're going today to look back into the Old Testament where we're going to see some of the heart of God. We're going to see some social law. How to treat one another from the Almighty God. And as I shared a week or two ago, sometimes Old Testament law has been fulfilled by Christ's cross and empty tomb. And it's not something that we do anymore. We don't kill a lamb anymore on the Day of Atonement because Jesus is that lamb. But sometimes you see in there the ethics of your father's heart and it matters. So today's sermon title is called A Different Type of Debt. I should have had this long intro talking ad nauseum about debt in our culture, but I just really wasn't interested Debt is the language and the currency of the middle class. If you're too broke, they won't give you a credit card. And if you're too wealthy, you don't need one, right? If you're too broke, you maybe don't go, want to go to college, have a Cal Grant to get there, college isn't on your radar. If you're really wealthy, you can pay cash. Or do the college admission scandal and all that. It, student debt is for the middle class. If you're too poor, you don't have any vision of ever being able to buy a house. The really wealthy can pay cash. So a mortgage is for the middle class. The average brother or sister, anybody here in Citrus Heights, the average person in Citrus Heights or Roseville or Fair Oaks, on average, we live and breathe by debt. And this is not a sermon about the world doing it foolishly, although we're going to see the right way, and it's really interesting. Really interesting. So that's why I entitled this A Different Type of Debt. This is inside the family of God, mind you. So, he's actually going to talk about what lending looks like to people who are outside of the family of God. So I just want you to know, the predominant text, this is talking about Israel lending to Israel. Or in our case, what we believe, the new Israel, the church, lending to other Christians. Very fascinating. Read with me. Deuteronomy 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. This is a part of the law. Moses just came down from Sinai, and God delivered the law through Moses to his people. At the end of every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. Did God already create all kinds of social problems in the first verse? What? Did Bank of America get this memo? Every seventh year, this Sabbath year or sabbatical year, where God had said there's going to be a release of the prisoner, there's going to be a release of the slave, there's going to be a release of debt. And he created a structure, for all that we think the Old Testament God was angry and grumpy, he created a structure to make sure that in the people of God there was no permanent cyclical poverty. Even if you sold off your family inheritance, which you weren't supposed to do, at the end of 50 years it would be restored to your family. God knows the mess of human beings that he's dealing with. And he has put all these laws in place to protect us from ourselves. Every seventh year, you must cancel the debts of everyone who owes you money. This is how it must be done. Everyone must cancel the loans they have made to their fellow Israelites. They must not demand payment from their neighbors or relatives, for the Lord's time of release has arrived. This release from debt, however, applies only to your fellow Israelites not to the foreigners living among you. Very interesting historical tidbit. The very first ghetto in world history was in the early 16th century where it was with Jews that fled the Spanish Inquisition and came to Venice. And they set aside an old foundry, which the word, I guess, was G-E-T-O. But they set aside an old foundry said all the Jews can live there. The Jews had this verse and go, wow. Amongst other things, I can't charge interest to, to fellow Jews. So the Jews would only lend to the Christians, who in Venice outnumbered them 49 to 1. 98% of the city was, you know, Christian. And the Christians, the handful of lenders that were there, they interpreted the verse the exact same way. They didn't want to lend to other Christians because then they couldn't charge them interest, and every seven years they'd have to let the debt go. And I'm like, I can't build my little monopoly empire. By forgiving debt. So the Christian lenders would only lend to the Jews. And that little thing was actually a piece of the modern European banking system. Why Jews are such a part of it is because of this verse. They didn't want to lend to each other because then they wouldn't make interest. Fascinating. Fascinating that our brothers and sisters in Christ 500 years ago considered this text as well and followed it. And we pretend like the book of Deuteronomy doesn't even exist. So we're playing catch up here. Verse 4, there should be no poor among you. For the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. You will receive this blessing if you're careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The Lord your God will bless you as he promised. You will lend money to many nations but will never need to borrow. What? He's talking about his people being really peculiar when it comes to finance. Christians should look different when you look at our money. The way we spend it, invest it, debt. We should look different. And he just said, you will lend to other nations. They will owe you money. They, they're going to float bonds and you'll buy those bonds, which is buying debt. And they'll owe you 3%. Or they'll or owe you 4% or whatever. But you will never need to go outside of the family of God to look for capital. Have we lost this one or what? We've forgotten this one. Everything's been institutionalized. Listen to the way that this is structured. The verse, let's go back to the top of verse 6. The Lord your God will bless you as he promised. You will never lend money... Sorry, you will lend money to many nations but will never need to borrow a couplet here, practically. You will rule many nations, but they will not rule over you. Right? The proverb says the borrower is slave to the lender. So in God's mind, this is kind of one and the same. The one who is in debt is the one who's, oops, I'm in trouble, right? But, but if you own those bonds, if you hold that mortgage, you hold that note, whatever, you're the, you're the one who's in control, right? God has no problem with Christians making wise, good loans to anyone in the world, but he has told us not to charge each other interest. He just has. And we're going to see why in a little bit, other than the fact that we're family. Verse 7. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, God knows he's dealing with a broken people in a broken world, right? There should be no poor, because I am blessing you guys big time. There's abundance of blessing. But if there are poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Scary verse? Anybody? Anybody met a dysfunctional person that you give them money and they're just going to need more money? And then the next week they're going to need more money? The next month? That... So scary? Are we scared yet? Yeah? Okay, we're going to get to that. Verse 9. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. Can we agree that's logical? If we know every seven years the debts are going to be canceled and that's coming up six months from now, I don't want to give you a loan, do I? And God thought about it proactively and said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not allowed to calculate that way. Isn't that really good? Isn't that really important? Because Jesus said this. There were some workers invited into a vineyard to work it and they ended up working all day. They were upset that they got paid the same wage as somebody who only worked an hour. And the vineyard owner rebuked them and said, Friend, it's my money. Do I not have every right to be just as generous generous to somebody else? It's my money. You worked all day and I paid you the wage we agreed to. With them, I was obscenely generous. They only worked an hour and I gave them the same wage. It's my money. Right? So if Jesus Christ is going to dole out forgiveness of sins... To people who serve him for 40 years. Or for people that only love him for an hour. Like the thief on the cross. If he's going to give the same heaven to everybody. Because he's a merciful God. Then his people cannot be doling out loans. Mind you, again, we're talking about zero interest loans. So I'm not in this to make money. I'm actually in this to help you. Which we're going to get to in a second. If I lose The money, air air quotes, everybody at home, you're watching? If I lose the money because you need $5,000 and I give it to you knowing six months from now I have to forgive it, there's no way you're going to pay it back in time, guess what? It wasn't my money in the first place. It just wasn't. And it's probably beyond the scope today uh, of the sermon, but there's a lot in Proverbs that makes it really clear. If you're not able to lose that money, don't lend it. God is not saying, take your rent money and loan it to a friend in need, or you yourself will be in need. God never asks us to do that. But amongst the family of faith, communally, he is saying there will always be enough resources. You may not feel like it in your own uh, family unit, but amongst the family of God, he has said, obey me, and I promise there will be enough resources that you guys can share and glorify my name. All right? And in case, you know, in case I've got some historians right now that are really weirded out and feel like i'm talking about communism i want to be really clear communism is when an authority forces you to obey a certain way and that authority is narcissistic power monger human broken human being but when your authority who is god who loves you and serves you selflessly he goes to the cross for you and he tells you to be generous that's not communism anymore that's christianity And and frankly, he's so gracious that he did not throw you to hell even when you refuse to be generous. When you and I disobey and disregard his commands, we're still covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's patient with us and his Holy Spirit grows us and matures us as time goes by. Communism is forced onto somebody and never gets to the heart. Christianity starts with the heart and then begs that forgiven heart to be forgiving toward others, even financially forgiving. Does that make sense? All right. Do not be mean-spirited. Oh, so I stopped in the middle of 9. Go back to the top of verse 9. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone a loan because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. Are you ready? If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, jumps ahead of you in authority, goes to the top, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for... Answering why, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. In other words, you can't give to the poor something I did not already give you. Don't be silly. Christian, please. Okay? Verse 11, there will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. And then a slightly different topic, which is not really a different topic. Verse 12, If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year, you must set that servant free. Actually, I'm going to stop right there. So, quick historical background. This is not 19th century, 18th century, 17th century slavery. This is something entirely different. If I knew that I could earn $50,000 a year regularly with whatever my skill set was, I knew I could do that, but I was in $300,000 of debt. I didn't know how I was going to take care of it. I could go to a fellow Israelite who had a good amount of cash, and I'm asking them, it's a form of bankruptcy, I'm asking them, would you pay off my huge debt right now so that my relationship ends and I do not have some other master? And I am pre-selling you six years of my labor and efforts in exchange for you paying off my debts. That's what we're talking about here. What's crazy here isn't that they have slavery. What's crazy is that the world did slavery forever. Every type of abuse that you've heard of through IJM that's going on now, it's as old as time. It's as old as time where a human being is treated as chattel property. And God says, you are free if you're in a huge financial mess. You can pre-sell six years of your labor to somebody else who fears me as much as you fear me. And you're both accountable to me. And you're going to treat each other well. And at the end, if you enjoy working for him, there's future instruction of how to just stay and stay for life because he's he's a great employer. You like being at his house and working with and for and, and it works out well. But if you want to go free, he's supposed to send you away generously, large gifts of food and oil and give him some money on his way out to give him a good start. Do you see how social this is? Bless somebody who got themselves in a bunch of trouble but with legal ramifications to it. Today, we have no recourse loans. You wouldn't loan 300 grand to pay off the debts of somebody who was a fool. But even if this person was foolish, they have zero legal rights now. They are held and bound by this kind of contract. You forgave this debt, and I really do. I've got to work for you for six years. The whole culture says so. I have to, because I owe you this. This was our agreement. You bailed me out, and now I work for you, and then we're we're fair and square. All right. Holy Spirit, would you please teach us the Bible today so that the Father would get his glory and that the Son would be treasured above all else in our world. And in the great and precious name of Jesus Christ we pray, and God's people said. Amen. Amen. Note takers, grab your pens. Your first blank Christian lending comes from a generous heart. Christian lending comes from a generous heart. Can we get back to the heart issue, right? Your heart is not generous, this isn't going to happen. Read with me again, verses 7 and 8. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns when you arrive in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be what? Hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. The heart or the fist, right? One flows out of the other, right? Here I've got money held tightly. Why? Because my heart is hard They go together. Don't be either of those two things. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. So hard heart is the opposite of generosity. That's what those two verses just said together. Not hard hearted, which leads to tight-fistedness. Instead, be generous. So a soft heart, an open heart, a generous heart. Wow. That's what God commands of the Christian. Which again is a gift that flows out of money not being our God. Money's not our ultimate. So I can be free now. So Christian lending, as opposed to the world's form of... How many know the world's lending is only about how much money is made? Right? Do we know that? How much money am I going to make on this loan? That's it. That's it. Christian lending comes from a generous heart. And your second blank, Christian lending is about needs, not wants. Christian lending is about needs, not wants. And this is where every American listening is confused. And probably everyone listening is American or is American now. We swipe the plastic to get a toy. I want that. If I just swipe this plastic thing, they'll let me walk out of the store with it. This is awesome, right? Or even a mortgage, if I'm buying more house than I can reasonably afford, that's kind of turned a need into a want. Shelter is a need, but at some point the house is too big and too nice, and you're looking and going, there are hardly any of us living here. You've got twice as many bedrooms as you have people. At some point you have to go, well, uh, I don't know. <laughs> or this house in this neighborhood would have sufficed, but it just had to, had to be in this neighborhood, and we paid more. Everything in American consumerism has lost, we've lost our ability to be honest with ourselves about what we need as opposed to what we want. And that's because every marketing message wants us to never ever think ever again about our needs. If we only supplied our own needs, and then after that we were generous, entire companies would shut down. Not from coronavirus. They thrive on the 10th commandment. I wrongly told you guys last week, ninth commandment. Sorry, I lied. That's irony because the ninth commandment is about lying. 10th commandment, covetousness. See, Renault's with me. That was irony. I lied to you. Uh, covetousness, the desire for something that God has not given me out of his wisdom. Uh, as a parent of a toddler right now, I feel it all the time. We say no a thousand times a day. That's not good for you. That's not good for you. Gabriel literally took soap out of a spray can last night, pointed it into his mouth and sprayed it and had soap in his mouth. And Emily and I are freaking out and we washed him off and cleaned He's okay. Fortunately, it was a non-chemical cleanser, but still it freaked us out. We clean him off. We say no to him so many times a day for his own good. And that's really what covetousness is about. God has given me certain things to meet my needs and maybe even abundant grace above and beyond, that I would respond in praise. But he does not necessarily fulfill all my wants. Why? Because he loves me too much. I would have wrecked my life a thousand times over if I got everything that I wanted. Even those of you who are at homes right now, sitting around with a group of 15, 20 people, raise your hand if when you were 16 years old, you wanted to marry somebody that it would have been a disaster looking back. Okay? Okay? When we're 15, 16 years old... Now, my best friend got it right. He, he married his high school sweetheart and it's turned out great. Most of us are total fools. Right? <laughs> Most of us are total fools and we look back and go, oh, that would have been a total disaster. Covetousness is God has provided for me everything I need and then I shake my defiant fist at him and I say, you're holding out on me. Which is ultimately saying, are you ready for the blasphemy? You are not good. That is ultimately what is going on here. But Christian lending, it was really clear in the text, read verse 8. It's not about wants, it's about need. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Need. This is about somebody who's gotten themselves into trouble financially. There's a genuine poverty don't have their land inheritance anymore so they can't work the land to get crops. Like, whatever's going on. Sickness in the family. If you got laid out for three months just sick, you weren't able to harvest or you weren't able to sow in the first place, there's some kind of a problem, right? There are all kinds of reason, legitimate reasons that y- you could be in need. And this is not about wants. So, all that to say, when I'm talking about Christian lending today out of Genesis 15. Deuteronomy 15, we are not talking about me coming to Renault and saying, Renault, I got myself in a $55,000 problem. I need you to give me a $55,000 interest-free loan to save me. And Renault says, oh no, what happened, Greg? I saw a beautiful truck down at Future Ford, and I just had to have it. That's not what we're talking about. I did not need a beautiful, brand-new truck with this and that and blah, 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 blah. That's not a need. That was a want. If I started a lawn care business, you know what I need? I need a seven or $8,000 10-year-old Ford Edge. A 10-year-old Ford Edge is plenty to throw a weed eater, a lawn mower, a blower in the back and go. I do not need a $55,000 beautiful F-250 with chrome and gold-plated. Like, no. I just don't need it. This is all about need, not want. Which is going to mean we're going to have to have honest conversations with each other, aren't we? When somebody's in trouble, we need to have honest conversations about if they're truly in need or if they're just being foolish with their money. Next blank is out of verse 9. And this is, this is tough, but it's clear as day. It is a sin for a Christian not to provide for another Christian in need. It's a sin. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. Doesn't mean we have to have socially awkward conversations about each other's finances and be way more authentic with each other perhaps than we're accustomed to. In America, man, we don't, we don't, we feel like I would rather stand into a crowd and and disrobe than tell you about my finances because I have shame related. That's just oh, that's private. That's my business. That's yeah, not in not in the church. God God seems to think it's all His money, and that your life is His, and that your calendar is His, your body is His. He thinks it's all His, so He doesn't think much. Like why why on earth would there be this secrecy over finance? Whether on the positive end. Why are you afraid to say you've got a bazillion dollars? Oh, because you weren't generous. You've been hoarding it. That's why you're afraid, to be honest. Or if you're broke, maybe you're ashamed of past decisions and you need to let go of shame and just humble yourself and say, yeah, I've made poor decisions. On either end, there's something broken of why we can't be authentic with each other and say, here's where my need comes from. It's, it's genuine. Or here's where my need comes from. It's totally folly on my part that I created the need. And maybe I'm not asking you for money because of my folly. Maybe I'm asking you for coaching. Renault, you you and your wife have been doing a budget way longer than I've been doing a budget. Would you coach Emily and I on how to manage our money? Is that a beautiful request? Say yes. yes. Is that a humble request? Say yes. Humble yourself. I'm making financial mistakes. I created this hole, and I listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio, and he got me all pumped. I I need some coaching. I need some coaching on how to honor God with his money, and and I'm not sure how to go about this. Could I get some help? It's a sin for a Christian not to provide for another Christian in need. Again, need. All right, some bullet points down beneath this. Because that's terrifying. I've pre-preached some of these. Christians are not commanded to provide for a lazy Christian. Do you know that? Second Thessalonians 3.10. He who does not work does not eat. Okay? So here's the deal. And this is much easier without you being in the room, I'll tell you that. But I would still say it if you were here in the room with me. Sometimes we are just living a perpetually foolish life where we are in a constant state of victimhood. Because we make foolish decision after foolish decision after foolish decision. And um, I'm definitely not old, but I'm not young either when it comes to pastoral ministry. Every church seems to have... There are people that have received wisdom from brothers and sisters, especially older brothers and sisters. And some of us just cannot listen to wisdom. We don't have it in us to listen to wisdom and make a change in our life. And the Proverbs say a lot about you you don't have it and you don't desire wisdom, so you're not reading the Proverbs and trying to take those into your your soul and to become a wise person. And until and unless you're willing to humble yourself and try to pursue wisdom and listen to brothers and sisters around you, the church, I don't know, I won't, I'm never going to lend you money. And I'm never going to ask the rest of the church to lend you money. If there's a consistent pattern of foolish behavior, you don't need money because you'll just spend it. What you need is wisdom. You need a heart of wisdom. A fool and his money are soon parted. That's what the Bible says about you. If you have a consistent pattern of foolish decisions, and so you're always broke, you're always without a job. I've hardly been at a church where I didn't meet somebody at some point that was complaining that they got fired and their jerk boss, blah, blah, blah. And then you talk to somebody else and you find out that person's never held a job longer than four or five months. Well, what was the problem with the last thing? Oh, that boss was a jerk, too. What was the problem with the last thing? That boss was a jerk, too. And I'm sitting there going, I see a pattern. The common denominator is actually you, and you call yourself a Christian. So you're taking the sacred, holy, beautiful name of Yahweh into the workplace. You're lazy, you're unsubmissive, you're rebellious, and you get your butt fired. Right? Okay? Nobody at ARCF is ever going to ask the church to throw cash at you if you're living a foolish life. If you're willing to repent and pursue wisdom, we will give you financial coaching if you desire it. Absolutely promise. Emily and I's budget, it's just a a Google Doc. We'll open it up. We have nothing to hide. We'll walk you through the steps. Um, You'd probably be much better with somebody older and wiser, but we've been doing it for a little while uh, and are blessed by God in trying to steward his money well. The next, there's no blank for you, but it's right there. Giving to a fool is itself folly. Giving to a fool is itself folly. Again, Proverbs 21, 20. I already preached that. Next. God promises, and this is right here in our text today, God promises blessing for his people enough for them to care for each other. Did you guys know that? That is so cool. I've invested a lot of energy in the last 20 months in telling you guys that the prosperity gospel is evil, and it'll destroy your soul. Anybody out there that's going to tell you, hey, you should sign up to be a Christian. It's really easy, and God will make you rich. That kind of nonsense will crush your soul. It'll fail you. That, that's an imaginary Jesus. It has no bearing in the Bible whatsoever. Um, and yet, some of the verses that prosperity preachers rip out of context, who knows the phrase, I, I know I can't see your hands, but at home, raise your hand if you've heard the phrase, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Throwing the baby out with the bathwater. If we take verses about the promises of God and ignore them, just because prosperity uh, preachers abuse them, then we have now pendulum swung to an opposite extreme. Just because you abuse abuse a certain Bible verse, I'm not going to ignore the Bible verse altogether. Okay, Does that make sense? Say yes. Okay, so we still want to talk about verses like verse 4. This sounds like a prosperity verse. Let's go back. There should be no poor among you, for the Lord your God will greatly bless you. That's a plural you, not an individual you. Will greatly bless you in the land he is giving you as a special possession. So on one hand, theologically we want to deal with the fact that the promised land of now and this covenant is heaven, not here. But even then, even then, he is saying, I want to glorify myself by allowing my family to take care of other family members. They will know that they are Christians by their Love. Okay? The more we look for it, the Old and New Testament are saying the same thing. I want to have my redeemed children love each other in tangible ways, including their generosity toward each other, with each other, so that there is no poverty in the church. Wouldn't that say something to Citrus Heights? If there was no poverty in the church? Because if you're broke, there are only two situations going on. Something on you that's your fault that was your, your folly, and we need to encourage you out of folly toward wisdom, or something that was genuinely not your fault where we can be generous toward you and help you out. That's it. That's not that complicated. I, I'm, I'm just smart enough for A and B. It was folly and we need to give you wisdom. It was not anything your fault at all, and we can help you. What would our city and our state and whoever else knew us, what would they think if there was no poverty in the Church of Jesus Christ? What would they think? Wow, in a world that worships money, and therefore I have to hold on to it. I have to hold it, I have to build bigger barns, buy prettier toys. What, how could my mind be totally blown when I find out that my neighbor lost his job and an entire month's rent got covered by his church? That might just be the apologetic that I need as the pagan next door to go, whoa, something's going on with that Christianity. Something's going on. All right? And then there is a blank. For this one. Employment. That's your blank. Employment is one way to care for another Christian who is in debt. Verses 12 through 18, we didn't even go to all of it. But to pre-sell your labor, the closest cultural thing that we have here, three, more than 3,000 years later, is employment. We don't have a slave and a master anymore, but we do have an employer, employee. And men and women of God who are good with money, they're strong leaders, they're strong entrepreneurs, and they are able to create jobs, they can obey the spirit of verses 12 through 18. They can obey the spirit of that, even if it is not some formal slavery. It's an at-will employment. If you're happy with you, and I'm happy, you know, we're, we're getting along great, and I'll pay you this wage, does that work with you, and you do these tasks, does that work? Awesome, Great. Sometimes employment is very, very small. Maybe I absolutely can mow my lawn on my own, but I have a brother who desperately needs work. And so I come up with a dollar amount and say, hey, would it be worth your while? I'll pay you to mow my lawns. And I can spend my time doing something else. If it would not break your bank to hire somebody to clean your house. like I could clean my house, but this family really needs work right now. Maybe I'll just spend my time. Yeah, we, we can put the pennies together. Let's hire so-and-so to clean the house. You can give employment to a brother or sister in Christ. That's, that's the spirit of what's going on in verses 12 through 18. And then again, there's no blank for this. God will bless generosity within his family. Read verse 10 with me. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Give generously to the poor. Well, what does generosity look like? I'm glad you asked. Not grudgingly. That's with a happy heart. Cheerful giver, right? Give with a cheerful heart, blessing each other, and I will bless you. Interesting. Now, I've said a thousand times that Jesus is not a vending machine. So if you do not love God, If you do not fear God, you're going to take a verse like that and say, what I actually want is money. I don't want Jesus, but I do want the things he produces. So if Jesus promises good stuff, if I'm generous, okay, then I'll do this and I'll play this game. The only problem is that the king of kings will not play your games. You can take take a game of Monopoly and walk right now... Sunday, so maybe not, but maybe, yeah. no, it's 11, maybe. You could go down to the Sacramento Zoo, if they're not quarantined. I don't know if lions get coronavirus or not. You can sit down in front of the lion exhibit and pull out your Monopoly board, and you can tell that lion, you're going to be the car, I'm going to be the top hat. You can roll first. And nothing that you say, nothing you cajole can make the lion, even if there was enough space between the bars, there isn't. Nothing can make a lion pick up the dice and roll them and play your game. He's not going to do it. He's just not. So you want to treat Jesus like, oh, he said he'll give me stuff. I just have to do this in order to get stuff. I want this equation. No. See, he's not talking to outsiders who would manipulate him. He's talking to his children who already love him. He's talking to his children who already fear him. They've already been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They've already seen him rightly for who he is. They cherish him above all else. He's saying, now that you're my children, here's how you're going to treat each other to make my name famous in Citrusites. Okay? So these laws are for a family who are already not treating him like a a slot machine or a vending machine. They already love him. But it's still true, so it's a point. God will bless generosity within his family. He will. He will. And then our last blank today. Financial ethics have to be lived out in a broken world. Financial ethics have to be lived out in a broken world. Read with me again verse 11. There will always be some in the land who are poor. Doesn't that? Does that feel, anybody when we first read that felt like God was quitting? Doesn't that feel a little bit defeatist? this this radical economic perspective that I'm going to give you guys. It's awesome. It's, it's the greatest thing since the Communist Manifesto. And here's this, and here's that, and you're going to treat each other this way, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do that. Wow, and there'll be no poor among you. And then it seems in the very next, next sentence, he goes, there will always be poor among you. So, right? This is a God where the future isn't just a thing that he sees, it's a place where he is. And he is the only one, I promise, in Genesis 3 when we rebelled against God, he was the only one who knew fully what we had just done. All of the brokenness horizontally from the vertical brokenness, he was the only one who saw it clearly. He's the only one who saw it perfectly. And you can see it over and over after Genesis 3, all of the laws and the concessions that God makes. It's like he can see the future. It just really looks that way. Wow. How did he know he like he can see the future? And he says in verse 11, There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with others. I'm making it a permanent command because it's going to be a permanent need. Until I roll back all darkness one day, there will be poverty. That's a thing. Or as we see uh, the church in Philippi gathering money 2,000 years ago for the church in Jerusalem. That was was about culture-wide poverty. That wasn't any one person's decision. An entire church giving a gift to an entire church. There's just brokenness in the world. Imagine if the coronavirus right now was limited to one continent and all the rest of the continents were fine. Could you imagine... The countries and the, and the, the Christian churches that were doing okay, sending money and sending aid. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. Every time there's a hurricane, right? There's some big typhoon. There's a place of need, and there's a place elsewhere where, like, you know, if we're honest, we've got abundance right now. We, we could we could give. Right now, we're not thinking that way so much because most of the countries of the world are experiencing this. But um, when there's a, a storm, a really bad earthquake in one place, there's a lot of devastation. The rest of the world can chip in. Jesus knew, God knew, when he was giving this, he knew there would still be wars, he knew there would still be famines, he knew there would still be sickness, there are things that are going to create poverty, even amongst God's people. If they're treating themselves rightly and there's no injustice that created poverty, there's still the brokenness of a creation that's groaning, yearning for redemption. Romans, right? There's still this brokenness. Until his second coming, he's saying, because there will always be need, I am giving you this permanent command to be generous to each other. Sometimes God provides by sending resources. Sometimes those resources are in the pockets of our brothers and sisters, and so he gives a command like this. And he says, what you need is in your brother's pocket, and you're not allowed to steal. So the two of you are going to have to have a conversation. Right? you the resources you need are in your brother's pocket and it's not your brother's money, it's mine and I'm telling him to give it to you. So pray for his heart or have Pastor Greg preach a sermon to him or something so that he's generous and then you receive what you need and you both give me praise and honor and glory. Right? Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Um, ARCF, I'm going to pray for us. I know some of you have already, uh, some of the groups have already made lunch plans or brunch plans. You're going to go out Please do wash your hands before you, men, after you go. By all means, eat something yummy for me. I love you guys. Uh, I, I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to go and then be waiting for that phone call as we group up the church uh, and assign you guys to an elder or a pastor. So, Jesus, we genuinely desire to be a holy and separate and peculiar people. And we thank you for all of Scripture, even parts maybe we've never hardly read, that would give us a radically different set of ethics. God, would you help us to see all the different facets of generosity and how complex it can be in some ways? Yet it's very simple at a heart level. We love you and people instead of loving money. God, would you please deliver our hearts from the love of money? Not so much just by ripping out the love of money, but instead giving us something even more beautiful and more precious where we stumble upon the pearl of great price and out of great joy run and sell all that we had in order to obtain it. God, you're such a good God, and we ask your Holy Spirit to fill every uh, man, woman, and child of ARCF and take us to our next step of obedience right now. The precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And God's people across town said, Amen. Amen.